mind terror strikes fear into the hearts of innocent people, the morgue receives the victims of the blind dead. There's no escape from the blind dead. They are the Templars, devil worshippers, a death cult that has risen from their thousand-year-old tombs to begin a horrible reign of terror. young girl is trapped by the evil forces. No one is safe from their curse. A human sound in the ancient cemetery brings the evil creatures from their tombs. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. The Templars perform their sadistic rites. A virgin is sacrificed in a blood ritual. A fiery death for those who can't escape the blind dead. Coming soon from your cemetery. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. Do I want to see vampires, mummies, or zombies? Or maybe just a good satanic cult movie? Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. Is this city a sea? If Virginia used a molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools. But I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration or... You study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to the- NOW GO! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. 
the Honeywell Experiment. Virginia, summon the subject. Yeah. Ah. Ah. Okay. I, you know, I'm a sucker. I'm an idiot. Virginia wants to strap me up. I'm gonna say okay, right? But this is not funny. I've seen enough movies. I don't like the guys in the robes. I don't like the guys in the robes. Just getting into the mood, monkey. I, my hands are going numb. So, um, we're back after a while, and the reason we haven't been on for the last couple of months is because we went on a fruitless search for Night of the Bloody Apes. Holy cow. Then we went on a fruitless search for the film it was a remake of, Doctor of Doom. It's for goddamn ridiculous. It's torture. It's torture! Uh, I I I can't I I can't understand how I could not find copies of uh, and and Virginia you know, maybe in, with the wit with the switch will you? Ah! I tried. God knows I, I tried. Know, we both tried, and, and we couldn't we couldn't find it. Um. So, in desperation, I said, "Do you want do you want to talk about?" Something that doesn't get talked about a lot, which was the Spanish horror boom of the 70s. And to do that, we decided to do one of the most famous films in that 70s horror boom. Um, Armando Dios Osono's Tombs of the Blind Dead, or La Noche de Terra Ciego. Um... And this was right after the Franco regime fell in 1972. And Spain went a little nutty for horror for a couple of years after that. That sounds about right, yeah. Maybe relaxed um, a little bit on some of their... Yeah. So, but this this started a, a series, like a, a quadrilogy... Of, of horror movies, which really aren't aren't a series. They're more like four different takes on the same theme. They just use the same... It's like Is, is it like Hopping Vampires, where it's just like the same monster, but different? Yeah. It's, it's Zombie Vampire Nights. Yeah. Well, Although I mean... Apparently... This, this movie establishes their whole thing, you know? Yeah. So, like, it gives a blueprint if you ever want to, you know, they definitely were thinking, if, you know, if you ever want to make another Templar movie, this is what the Templars do, you know? Well, supposedly, um, Orserino, before he died, started teasing that he wanted to do a, a um, a fifth film. Well, so if I were to make a suggestion, I would be like, Del Toro. <laughs> yeah, well, um, he, he had teased it, and there have been actually many unofficial sequels, and we'll get to that. Who's, as... who's the guy who did The Witch and and Oh, Lighthouse? Eggers. 
Eggers. Eggers could Eggers could do a great Templars movie. Robert Eggers actually has an interesting project. Because I'm trying to remember what he's doing now. He's doing something now. He's doing Nosferatu now. That's right. Yes, which is potentially very interesting. With the foe. With the foe. Okay, so he's now played Count Orlock twice. Yeah, he's he's like yeah, he's going full meta with with it, and Defoe's like Defoe's still ready for that role, <laughs> if not well, more like than said, he ever has been. <laughs> Edgar is interesting because he loves his period pieces, and he really loves his period. He wants so it's going to be very very interesting to see how he translates that. Film. He likes his atmosphere too. Yeah, and um, but anyway. Tombs of the Blind Dead from 1972. Uh, we saw a bizarre cut of it, which it took me a while to figure it out, but then I realized that what it was was it was the Spanish cut, but with the American dubbing, and the Span and the American cut was shorter. Yeah, it was like an hour and twenty-two, and this was an hour and forty or something hour 40, like that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was fascinating for me because it's like I, I, I said to myself, every time they slip into Spanish, it, it's a cut. It's something that we did not see in 1972. And you can still follow the story. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, theoretically, you should be able to follow the story better. But most of the stuff was just like just sort of adding little little touches and stuff. Yeah. Or, it was. Yeah, it was. It, it was all like, honestly, um, yeah, this movie didn't need to be an hour and 40 minutes long. No, no, it didn't. But, um, it's... It's not bad. Oh, no, no. And, and the thing is, I wanted to say is that people talk about the Jallos at this time and Italian horror that leading into the 80s. Well, the Spanish horror movement did not have as long a uh, lifespan. It is just as stylish, I think. Yeah, I mean, as... there's bad, there's bad elements of it, but mm-hmm. there, there, it's it's a good bad. It's yeah. I, I'll tell you what they should have cut out though, because it added nothing whatsoever to the plot. Um, the the adventures of uh, was it Veronica is the characters. Um, that was the hardest part of the movie, and and yeah, frankly, though, with this kind of movie, die. if they're gonna do that, better to do it at the beginning and get your expectations low. Because I was like, once she ditched him and she was there, I'm like, boy, is this just gonna be her running from these guys for the whole movie? I hope not. But I, then I'm like, well, they introduced enough characters to yeah. like come, so she's probably just gonna get killed, which is what happens. But it takes happens, a long no, time. The, the whole segment after she dies, when she comes back as a as a zombie vampire something, yeah, 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 it, that is could be cut out whole. But then again, it's like it's probably because of those scenes <laughs> that the film got picked up. For a release here in America, so it's like keep keep the hot girl. I mean, what was up with that morgue attendant? 
Well, that's the most. Yeah, well, that once they're once they're away from the. I mean, like when they're when they're in the country, it's got a very Spanish feel to it, you yeah. know. But when they're in the city, it's got more of a Jalo feel to it. Like, uh, except a Jalo wouldn't explain. They felt the need to explain the flashing red light, which I just yeah. thought was cool. I'm like, oh, that's a nice touch, you know. And, and I got to admit that. The, the sequence where the assistant is hiding from yep. uh, Virginia, the, the zombie, not not you, Virginia, um, is actually pretty cool. Yes. It, 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 there's cool stuff, even in that. The scene, weird... the scene where the assistant just before that is playing with the mannequin head and has the eye in it and the eye yeah. and she's moving the eye around as she's adjusting it. And it's moving, and it cut. It starts with a close up of that, so you like one of the templars. Going, very Jallo feeling, very yeah. Italian feeling, and nicely done, and mm-hmm. very creepy. I, I it almost at first I thought when that, when that when that scene came up, I was like, "Is that somebody else that just that, that was killed that is come that has come back?" But because it's only Virginia that comes back. I know it's they like, never did. They never did uh, er, fake Eric Estrada. Yeah, one of yep, Eric Estrada comes back. Yeah, I was I was kind of looking forward to him chasing him around for the last half of the movie, but last third of the movie or whatever. And what's up? And, and Inspector Beardo is very and <laughs> the morgue attendant is very very yes. jalo, except. He wasn't as creepy as the Italians would have got. The the Italians would have had him doing a little creepy touching more and been well, a little let's, more. Let's be honest. Let's name let's name the the heroes as well as the the, the villains. Uh, the morgue keeper, the weird ass morgue keeper with his frog and his bird, budgie, yeah, <laughs> and who kept playing with the the blankets. At the morgue was played by Simone Ariaga, and he was pretty nuts. He was like, I mean, the 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 part that killed me, just the most hilarious part, and it's funny because this it it, it totally brought me into the movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which right. I, if you've ever seen it is hilarious. But when they go in to identify the body. <laughs> and he, you know, he pulls, he, he shows him the wrong body first. But when they walk in, okay, they walk in and it's a classic horror movie thing, though. The light above the, the is just rocking back and forth. Why the hell is it rocking? It reminds me of like when they're doing their grift and, and Michael, Michael Caine right. is taking the rich widow to, mm-hmm. he's like, oh yeah, you know, I know our relationship, but you have to meet my brother Ruprecht. <laughs> and they, and you know, he goes to the door and like bangs on it, and you hear just like smashing around. And they walk in, and Steve Martin's just sitting on the ground, but there's a tire swing just swinging back and forth. Yeah. And that's what I, it's like this guy was like waving the light back and forth before they came in and was just like, oh, hi, you know? <laughs> it was. I know it was just as a horror touch, but like once you started thinking about that light for more than a second, it's like, wait a minute, that's, and it was just, I, I found it hilarious. It included another another thing I liked is they obviously knew this was going to be bilingual, but they but the director was going to help out by like, 
especially early on in the movie, a lot of the actresses, especially pantomime things, you know, right? That when they say a line, they pantomime what they're talking about too to make it just like like, well, you know, if the translation doesn't go go so good, they'll at least know what they're talking about. This will give them a little more contextual clues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing. It's it's re- really fascinating what kind of sticks with you in creating the, these char- these characters. I saw this first for a, a long, long time ago. Uh, went back before digital broadcasting when we still had like we were doing terrestrial signals. This seems like a chiller. Channel Eleven, you know, I was just a few few exactly. boobies the first cut time out. I saw this was on Elvira's movie Macabre because we were getting a signal from Wash a, a, a TV station in Washington D.C. that was showing that on Saturday nights. But it was like very depending upon how the weather was, it could be like a little more than dots. You know? Yep. Yep. But I. That that time we actually saw, I actually saw it at a pretty pretty decent resolution. And what's interesting is what to me stuck in my mind. Um, and the thing that I took away from the watching it that long ago long ago night when I was a teenager here in the in uh. Corona was the train sequence, which of course was cut down. They they cut out the uh, scene with the Templar killing the mother while the child while the ch- child gets splattered with her blood, which is kind of hardcore. You know? Well, yeah. And then they then they crowd in on the kid too. Yeah. Yeah, no, like that little girl. That little girl was getting splashed with blood. I was just like, "Oh, geez, yeah, this is yeah. just natural reaction there." <laughs> so, uh, I mean, she was that, that little girl was pulling a definite Jason Miller in Exorcist. You know the story about that, right? Yeah, he had no idea what was coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like she was she was definitely doing that. Um. But the thing is, it's it's a striking. The monsters are striking as all hell. Yeah, they're kind of cheesy, and that's what works for them. Like there are oh, like yeah, some of them little... have like you can like they they have different personalities by their costume. There's the one guy whose arms are just two like hands on a stick that the guy yes. holds out in front of him like a zombie. That well, guy's always the first one in, and he's dead. super creepy because the arms yeah. come in first. Yeah. There are basically two kinds of blind dead. There are the walking blind dead who have the the rake hands, you know, the the, the little the, the hands on sticks. The Mister Burns a, hands, yeah. Yeah, the Mister Burns hands, and then there's the um, the horse riding, um, the horse riding zombies who have their their hands fully attached because bit they have nim- to. Those ones are a bit more nimble for sure. Yeah, I, and I like the fact that, I mean, the, that even when they're on the horses, they're slower than they should be. Yes. In that, I, I got the impression that he, 
that Osoro overcranked the camera just a tiny bit so that it's, oh, for sure. it's, it's noticeable, but it's not so noticeable. Because That's, horses at real speed don't look very ghostly, but slow yeah. down, they slow down, and he also draped big pieces of cloth over them. Right, to hide the, the fact that they weren't decaying. That know? they weren't skeletons, yeah. yeah. I, but, like, yeah. But definitely they had to do them in slow motion to get but it to be... The thing is, is that he didn't overdo... When when we, we see somebody doing slow motion, usually yeah. it's really, really obvious... It's not quite so obvious with this film. Yes, it's, but, you, but it's just enough to give you a sense that something is not right. Well, the combination of that and the the widely varying from not very good to not even trying day for night shooting, it makes it very dreamlike, you know. Mm-hmm. And the and the just the like, especially when you're in the the actual old monastery because it's old looking and it's also like it looks like it's fairly untouched but i'm sure they filmed around some you know modern buildings around it or yeah. you know the tourism area of it but like they they were able to just sort of use it as a genuinely creepy old set and when it's there it's totally dream reality you know and and once you're once you're outside of that in the city or on the train, it's a little more right, a little more realistic. Well, uh, I mean, also the fact that, for example, it's the fact that the train we see is something f- looks like something from out of the 19th century. Yeah, it it looks like it's going about 10 miles an hour. You yeah. know, uh, you can you can comfortably jump off it and be a model actress and not have a stunt person like actually jump off the train for the stunt and not hurt yourself, you know? So yeah, it, it was, it, it, it's funny because they're like, we must never stop here, son. It's like, yeah, they got horses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, this train, you can pretty much just like run off. You know. horses. So you, if, that, that's the thing. And there, there were moments where I was just, Oh, come on guys. Is that you can, he makes it very clear in this in in the sequences that the the Templars are very very slow. They are they're definitely in the George Romero camp of slow yes. zombies. But they in a in in a dreamlike way, they yeah. just end up being all around you. You know, you open up a window, there's a face. You know, so. Yeah. They they have a way of just sort of like that creeping and creeping inevitability, and also on top of it, like really bad uh, actress, you know, running and and just at the well, end where, where the lead actress is trying to run for the train and the yeah. sun goes to get her. She's actively like the director's like, yeah, you got it. Like she's like struggling against getting on the train almost, you know, she's it's such bad, like, oh, I've got a hurt foot or whatever. You know, she's not even trying yeah. to get on the train. It's just like, just leave her, just leave her. <laughs> if she's not going to help you escape after going, help me, help me. Yes. Just, just leave her for the Templars. Your dad's yeah, right. Yeah. But actually the, the, um, I think the bad acting award has to go to uh, Veronica Limera 
who played Nina, the the gun mall. Oh jeez, yeah. Like sort of like the 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 mildest Russ Meyer character you yeah. can think of, basically. <laughs> Although to be fair, you know Jose Thielman's Pe- uh, Pedro wasn't exactly an award winner either. No, no, but he actually I, still was convincing. Like he he's he. I I'm I was convinced that he could be the son of the the Dufio librarian scholar guy. Yeah. At the college. Exposition man. Yeah. Yes. Um there was a moment I almost gave up on the film which was during Virginia's long wandering through the the monastery. Yeah. Smoking cigarettes like, and listening yeah. to jazz music and Sort of like that fake reading a book. Like I yeah. just pay, I just flip a few pages and then start reading and then just flip a few pages more. You know. Yeah. But oh, it all, all that did, fact, did end way, up serving as yeah. you know, just I, giving I you an introduction like like to being thirsty or anything. But I like the, I, I find it very funny that she goes to the the, the to, to 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 go to sleep for the night. We get an extended sequence of her changing into her nightclothes. Of course. And before she starts running away from the night, she goes back into her tight jean shorts and blouse. If you're sleeping out in the country, just sleep in your clothes. That's what everybody would do. But, you know, it's not that movie. <laughs> it's not going know. for realism, you know. It's... Surprisingly, what a lot of the things that were cut for America... Um, were the things that you would think that people who would buy this for distribution here um, would be attracted to, namely the lesbians. Yeah. And the rape scene, which is not in the, um, not in the America, the initial American print. Of course, the initial American print was even more butchered than the print that we that we kind of saw with the stuff added back in. Get this now, because what was hot in 1972? Oh, well, satanic cults. Something um, else. Something. Something that was a, a film series that was super, super, super hot in those early 70s. Death Wish? No. I give up. Planet of the Apes. Oh, okay. I have no idea where you're going with this. This film was was re- was uh, presented to American audiences as Revenge from Planet Ape, with the um, the flashback sequence taken out whole and replaced with a voiceover at the very beginning explaining that this is a post-apocalyptic world. Okay. Undead, the, the, the Templars are actually deceased intelligent apes. Yeah. Really yeah. good way to. Well, I guess they didn't give a shit how they felt after <laughs> once they got in the theater or in the drive-in. Yeah. yeah. So, 
but the thing is, it's like there was a period when I was younger where I just like fell down a Spanish horror hole, which sounds very rude, but you know what I mean. Yeah. There's another film which I might show you one of these days called uh, A Bell for, from Hell. Ooh. Which is similarly just very kind of dreamlike and weird and um, different. But the thing is, Spain made these films that are just as distinctive as the Italian films. And I think this this film is as distinctive as they as they come. It's a, it's very just the the sound design with the the kind of off you know off mark footsteps. Yeah, it's yes. like a lot of just just simple drums, but then a lot of like um, like sort of found sound metal. Yeah, like not like metal, like heavy metal, like like pieces of yeah. sheet metal being raked. Well, there and... were there were moments when I was obvious. I was thinking, were they trying to do Goblin? Maybe, and uh, and and it ends up although, sounding like a lot mind, of more. This is, I think, this is this is pre Argento teaming up with Goblin, so that could just be the fact that. That's an association I make. The well, uh, music was by someone named Anton Garcia Abril. There was there was stuff like uh, Can was coming out around this time, and you know Kraut Kraut Rock and weird experimental synth stuff. Mm. And this, yeah, this definitely it, it doesn't sound as good as Goblin. It's not as rocked out no. as Goblin, but it has that sort of yeah uh, that dissonant um, Suspiria sort of sound to it yeah i like it. it i mean there's a lot of stuff these days that's very much more reminiscent of this than there was then you know right i, I do think we both agree it, it that in its original form in its spanish form it's 140 minute it, um you know 140 minute fo- form it's too long yes um, and I could, and I, the thing is, of course, what I would shorten is like, like I said, I would, I would get rid of the whole first half of the, the well, oh, no, not get, of not get rid of the, the first whole half, would, but I that's where I would do it. the cutting. Go ahead. Go ahead. I would do, I, I would do most of the cutting in the first half of the movie, you know? See, I, I kind of disagree with that. I, I would, I would definitely condense the wandering around the monastery. Um, but the other thing I would do is I would, I would, I could, I would, well, I'd remove the, the rape sequence because I, um, I, rape sequence it doesn't, me off. It, and it's, it's just, well, it doesn't do, it doesn't add anything to the, I mean, the, the fact that like, okay, that they like had a lesbian thing in the back, that, that sort That's of colors the relationship kind of between the three character. characters, you know? Yeah. And stuff like that, but the rape scene really doesn't do anything except be the like, you know. I mean, it's it's the it's the seventies. It's just functions yeah. as the like we're gonna have nudity, so what? We're gonna have a rape, you know, a full, you know, once again a full pants on. Sure. I mean, she, Lone Fleming, who who played Betty, the the main character, uh, I during that moment, 
I actually felt kind of sorry for the actress because I think that that, that, that that Fleming was trying to create some nuance with her character. The idea right. that she's she's a closeted lesbian. And she something bad had happened to her, apparently, with a man. So probably some sort of rape or abuse, you know, uh, uh, that's hinted at, too. So and that it's like she's, she's afraid to come out, even though she's more attracted to women than men but she's also afraid to fully commit to to Roger being her beard but she's still willing to steal him away from her friend <laughs> yeah it, 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 it's a it, it's an interesting and then all of there's a sudden there's stuff to chew like, on in, the, in that you know in so, that dynamic for sure yeah and there's some interesting the idea that she's a business owner and I kind of liked the the interplay between her and her assistant so there's a lot of interesting things that Fleming brings to the table when interpreting this character and that goes out the window the second Pedro forces himself on her yeah 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 and it's, it's just there you know yeah so, and it's funny because it's sort of, but you know, he pays with his life immediately. Yeah. But it would have been more effective if you sort of sympathized with him, you know, because mm -hmm. you do sort of sympathize with the character because he's supposed to be this bad smuggler, and then you meet him, and it's just like, oh, they're just a bunch of doofy kids, you know. Oh, although well, he was definitely not a kid, he he was. No, but they're yet he was like oldest looking of of the. Yeah, like I think was... he's a thirty-five-year-old trying to play a twenty-something-year-old, yeah. but you know, but they're basically just a bunch of doofuses that are like yeah. want to be want to be badasses, and he's very like you know insecure. Oh, oh, the fact that he's like, this is all I need, and he starts flicking open his knife. I'm like, oh. Yeah, well, and and he's but he's also like peer pressured all the time. They're like, well, if you're afraid, no, I'll go. You know, he's yeah. he's instantly peer pressured, so he's. He, you know, you could have a little bit of sympathy for him when he gets killed, but they have to like set him up as a rapist too. And yeah, and that that kind of just, whatever yeah. nuance that has been set up is totally erased by the yeah. Fact it's that it's it's a negative. So yeah, that could. De I mean, there's definitely stuff in the second half that could go to trim it down, but like they could have trimmed it down under an hour and twenty minutes too. <laughs> yeah, no, I would have cut out. I would have cut out zombie fishing the hole. Yeah, but yeah. She contributes nothing. Nothing to the story or to the to the tension of it. Yeah, it's like... Well, there the is that is, nice... It's a nice scene, though. The nice scene with the row of mannequins, and they probably just didn't want to get rid of it. But, yeah. you know, but you no, I, your babies. Um, the funny thing is, is that if I recall correctly, the idea that the bite of the blind dead confers a kind of zombie virus onto their victims is never explored again. No, you have two other victims that... that oh, yeah, no, that... I'm talking about in the three films following. Oh, oh, okay. I'm talking about the... Yeah, the, the three... I'm talking about oh, that. Oh, okay. The, these films go on. There are three more sequels to this that are official, which are Return of the Blind Dead, which came out the following year, The Ghost Galleon, 
which came out the year after that, and Night of the Seagulls, which came out in 75. There's also an un unofficial sequel. <laughs> he says uh, in, in um, air quotes, uh, directed by John Gilling called La Cruz de, de La Cruz del Diablo. Okay. Um, which was basically told uh, was basically Osorio said, you, "You take that back." They're 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 not they're not Templars. You know, but but that was what the implication was that that Gilling had had meant. Um, but what's interesting is there, there seems to have been probably tied in with the fact that the film suddenly became widely available on DVD and Blu-ray in the aughts through uh, Anchor Bay and Blue Underground and Synapse Films. Um, there was a small revival of interest in, in the Blind Dead series. And um, so we had a fake film trailer for Island of the Blind Dead in 2015, co-directed by Emma Dark and Merlin Roberts. We had Curse of the Blind Dead in 2021 from Raffaele Riccio, uh, which sucked, apparently. And of all <laughs> things, from, from Full Moon Features... Chris Alexander's Scream of the Blind Dead. Which um, includes Lone Fleming narrating and is supposedly really good. Oh. It's like a, it's a short film. It, instead of a horde of Templar knights, it's one female Templar stalking one victim. Okay. Supposedly, it's really good. And in 2020, we got an anthology of short stories titled The Blind Dead Right Out of Hell. So, it's, uh, they, they have a long reach, not just because they're holding sticks with hands on them. <laughs> well, but, there's a lot of potential with them. You know, yeah. it's got a lot. Of, it's got vampires, zombies, and satanic cult. All, and Although religion. to be fair, Osorino, Osorio would uh, tell you he, he frequently would say in interviews, "No, they're not zombies. Stop calling them zombies. They're well, okay. mummies." Okay. He he insists they're mummies. Okay, that's okay. Well, throw mummies in there too, but they've got a lot of elements of zombies. The way they slow moving and yeah. well, that's that's mummies. So are, so too, are but... mummies. Yeah, yeah, no, hey, you know, throw it all in there. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of different things working with it, and they've got a whole story. They've got a way that they act. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got a, the the whole lore. It's all established, and it's it's good to go. You know, it's it's just going to be as good as the writing, and acting and directing. But yeah. hey, now, Osorio did us. Osorio. I, I will get it right. I will try to keep it consistent, people. I'm sorry for the mispronunciations. 
Um, he did a couple other horror films. And in fact, Des and I are scheduled to review his uh, sea monster film, The Lorelei Grip, uh, in a future episode of Dread Media. Um, but this, this is his legacy. And once again, though, the thing to keep in mind is this was another one of these directors who did a lot of sh- a lot of different shit. He was primarily he was a Western director before he started work on the Blind Dead quadrilogy. And um, you know, I, I think I think that helped a lot in when it comes to European horror of the time that the people went on all did all these different genres because it allowed for things to melt into their horror like here there you can you can kind of see the western um the western influences in this film with the fact that People are getting around on horseback. Horseback, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, they don't ask for an ATV or a car. Roger and Betty ask for horses. It's just, it's, it's an interesting film. It's, it's really, really just... It creates a definite iconography that sticks with you. Yeah. I definitely saw this and was like, this isn't perfect, but this definitely establishes a genre of a monster that mm-hmm. could be built upon or could be fleshed out into it could you could you could pursue this as a movie set in the past as a period piece, right. as a modern one with the you know, or 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 split both ways. It, it, it makes, once again, it's like, I wonder what would happen if this was made in the modern day. Well, first of all, of course, they'd be assuming it is going to be a trilogy to begin with. Well, you could have CG yeah. skeleton horses now, or, or at least makeup on. Well, I, I wonder, because, you know, I, um, while watching this, I've also been watching revisiting the Evil Dead series. I wonder how much this film had an influence on Army of Darkness, or perhaps we should use its its real title as as Ash, uh, uh, Bruce Campbell versus the <laughs> Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness. Yes, I I thought that was amusing, <laughs> but um, for sure, for sure, just not like as as. You know, it, it's that was a humorous take, but definitely with the, with the like skeleton hands coming out of the mm-hmm. the the, gra- the grave, you know, lifting up their graves and stuff. Yeah. Sure, for sure. I think this is actually a, a fairly remarkable film, and I hope that people who might come to see this because we're talking about it will delve into other Spanish horror of the era. Uh, in addition to A Bell from Hell, 
one of Dess's favorite films, and it's a brutal film, is called uh, Who Could Kill a Child? From the same, from the same, it's basically a group of vacationers come to this island where something has happened that has caused all the children to go psychotic and kill all the adults. Ooh. And it's 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 really just much like much like that scene of that poor little girl getting doused with ketchup in the, in the climax of this film. Or that poor frog. Oh, well, that was that was more, I think, artistic. That was very that was very jalo like. Yeah. The frog didn't care, but it was just like, oh. Frog's probably like mm, corn syrup. So, so I I think that you you should see it, and I think you should also look into more Spanish horror of this if, era. If we can find them. Um, they used to be shown a lot. You know who used to show them a lot back back in the old days? WWR had a whole package of these things. That's where I first saw uh, a bell from hell. It's this, this one would have said this one would have scared the hell out of me as a little kid on a like Saturday morning afternoon, you know, TV. Right. Unlike creature feature or um chiller it would have scared the hell out of me i I think wwr's version of creature feature was called fright night long before the the movie movie? of the same name yes but yeah no it's 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 really i definitely say see it i'm glad that it held up because you know when you haven't seen something for a long time you worry that you were remembering it through the rose-colored glasses of nostalgia. But this thing holds up because, I mean, it's just very striking. Yeah. So, um, and I'm assuming you're going to say the same thing, to see it. I would definitely recommend it. It's, uh... It's it's like a new genre of monsters for me. If even if like like all the like I like I I have a feeling the more Templar movies I see, mm-hmm. the more they'll be like. This is interesting. I don't know if this is ever like, this genre has ever really truly lived up to its potential. Mm-hmm. This is this is probably the closest it comes to living up to its right. potential because it's the first and it's establishing. It takes itself you know sufficiently seriously but uh like that the, the, i i mean watching these are in sp- making me think like what what would happen if Guillermo del Toro decided to make one of these movies you know and we will or even like next... Tim oh, Burton at, at a at a different time okay. you know we will get to mexican horror of the 60s and 70s at some point i just have to find something. I may just release the Brainiac on you. Ooh. Which. which Isn't that like a code Japanese Mexican production? No, no. The Brainiac is a Mexican film. It's all a Mexican film. And. That's where the monster's a balloon, isn't it? The monster has a balloon head. Yes. But it's, it's also. And the, um, 
the female lead looks suspiciously like Jennifer Kelly. <laughs> but um I saw that on the I saw that at one of the revival houses and it the thing that's fascinating about I'm getting confused with the the manster. That's what it yes, is. Yes, exactly. Manster's is a is a Japanese American co-production. Oh, okay. That everybody remembers because of course the the wild sequence of the head growing out of his his shoulder that becomes another creature. Um back to Army of Darkness. <laughs> back to Army of, exactly, back to Army of Darkness again. Um but the thing that fascinates me about the Mexican horror films of the of this era is that it's almost as if they just discovered universal horror. Uh-huh. And so many of the Mexican horror films of this time, the ones that don't involve wrestlers, um, have a weird sort of, you get a weird sense of it being both in the, in the modern day and in the past at the same time. And there, there's just some, I mean, We'll we'll get to that probably sometime this year because I think it, it, it's an, another interesting kind of weird area that um, horror kind of blossomed for a while that uh, does not get in fact usually gets laughed at because people when people think of it they think of you know the the wrestlers versus the Aztec mummy and yeah. the, the doctor of doom which also had female wrestlers in it in fact i think it was a unofficial sequel to the aztec mummy film i always think of coffin joe <laughs> coffin joe is isn't coffin joe isn't from mexico oh no oh. he's brazilian oh that's a whole nother oh that was that's a whole nother world yeah and that's a whole nother um kind of wackadoo because Jose Marica Marin was a character he was he was a character that's for sure so so yeah so I, I I'm glad I got to share this with you I'm, I'm glad that I got to revisit this and it's now, like I said, it's pretty. The most recent re-release was from Synapse Films, uh, and it features both the Spanish and the U.S. version, so you can compare and contrast. And um, I'm trying to imagine what people made of the of the, of the Revenge from Planet Ape <laughs> cut. That. Well, hopefully they were in the drive-in already having sex by that time and yeah. did not care. So, like that, I'm I'm guessing that maybe that was supposed to go on like the third feature in or something to where they, you know. Hopefully, uh, yeah, I would feel ripped off, honestly. But at the at, at that point, at that time, you're kind of expecting mm -hmm. to be ripped off. Well, you if know, you can or, find. The five disc limited edition by Blue Underground, which came out in 2005, they include the opening sequence for Revenge of the from Planet Ape. 
as one of the extras. So you can actually experience this weird attempt at recontextual. They might as well just not have tried and just put the movie, you know, you just as. But that's the thing, like attempting to do that to this movie, like it could take away from the fact that it's actually a pretty good movie, you know? Yeah. In 1970s, well, they could have definitely pushed the night of living, the zombie aspect of it, you know. At the same time, because those movies were big. Dead is the uh, aspect is the very reason why Osorio included Dead Virginia. Either that or Manchester Morgue. <laughs> well, Manchester Manchester Morgue was inspired by by Night of Living Dead. Dead. For sure, yeah. So, so yeah. So I think that that was what they were thinking, but because it's never brought up again, I don't think in any of the films or this film. The, I mean, the, film. the the morgue attendant doesn't come back. The um. Eric Estrada doesn't come back, you know. All, all his, none of his victims. That's who I thought the, the mannequin head was at first. Yeah. Was the attendant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, they had that potential, but they were like, you know, well, we've set our movie at the monastery and not in the city, you know. So it's it's a it's a really good film, and, and yeah. we recommend it. And um. It occurs to me that because of our uh, layoff that was uh, prompted by our fruitless search for Night of the Bloody Apes, that next episode is, of course, our New Year's New Year's Eve episode. And we usually try to do something kind of funky and silly. We backfired. Was it Queen Kong last time? No, no, no. The first time it was Darktown Strutters. Yep, yep. No, the first time it was Dolomite. The second time Dolomite. it was Darktown Strutters. Yes. And then we thought it would be funny to watch the necrophilia horror movie. No, that Lucky was not that, funny. That was, and that one, that one made, made me go soft on you for a while, monkey. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. But um, considering how badly we screwed up, we should kind of overcorrect. And so I am going to assign you for New Year's Eve, we are going to be watching the Shaw Brothers classic attempt at doing Japanese-style tokusatsu. Inframan. Yay! I've never seen Inframan. Inframan is what? It, and when I first saw it, I saw it on a video VHS. The first time I saw it, I was suffering from severe food poisoning. Ooh. So I honestly it was like, I doubted what I was seeing on the screen that first time. I just, I will always remember it. And like, my views on Siskel and Ebert, of course, have yeah. soured over the years. Mm-hmm. Although I still enjoy watching them, but I just don't like... Like, when I was a kid, I took their word as law. But, like, I remember Inframan from an episode of of uh, right. Guilty Pleasures, you well, know? Like all, like, all people 
Roger Ebert had his good his good side and his bad side. Um, he was unreasoningly harsh on horror as a genre. Horror and violence. He did not. He, yeah. he and Siskel did not like horror and violence. And Siskel was more prudish about sex than Ebert. Ebert, if you put some big boobies in the movie, Ebert was suddenly well, paying remember, attention. Remember what Roger but, Ebert wrote. Yeah, yeah, he, he was a, a film for for uh, for your your buddy Russ Meyer. He because he Meyer. hung around with Russ Meyer because he liked being around ladies with with balconies you could read Shakespeare from. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, Roger Ebert had his had his weaknesses where he would be like, ah, I don't know, this is I don't think this is yeah, destroying the moral of youth. It's putting boobs in my face. <laughs> yes. So so he was very harsh on on violence. He was very harsh on horror. But he was a big proponent of science fiction. He loved science fiction. Yeah. Uh, to the point where one of my favorite films of all time, which of course comes outside of our remit, although we've already broken our remit once, uh, Dark City. He loved that film so much, he did a commentary track for it. Oh, wow. Well, so, like it's sometimes a horror movie would slip through, and even like, yeah, like uh, Dawn of the Dead. I remember him saying, like, "Don't take the kids to this," but this movie is. And Siskel was like, "Yeah, it doesn't quite make it for me. It's just too bloody." And mm-hmm. Roger Ebert was like, "It's bloody, but it's there for a reason." You know, he was like, "It's there yeah. for a reason," but it had to be something like an established, cl- well, not an established classic. But when you see Dawn of the Dead for the yeah. first time, you have to admit that it's like a powerful piece of filmmaking. Although it's funny watching stuff like that <coughs> in this kind of in this day and age, because every once in a while we have we have visited things that were considered forbidden fruit when I was little Tom. Yes. Um, and the gore is actually not, and you know, like in Dawn of the Dead, the gore is not really that impressive with the exception of, um, the helicopter zombie (laughs) helicoptered off. Yep. But the guy getting disemboweled at the end is pretty, pretty set piece-ish. I think they're confusing that with Day of the Dead. No, Dawn of the Dead has one of the has Tom Savini get pulled off a bike when the okay. bikers come in and and gets his. I've got the I've got Tom the, Savini's book where he goes into detail about how many right. condoms they had to do <laughs> for his intestines. But, but, but the, like, it wasn't the gore film that people like portrayed it to be. It, maybe it wasn't the time. I mean, well, it I also mean, got at, a, an X rating, basically. You look know, at that original Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, hardly any blood in it. There's hardly any, you know, for everyone talking about how gory it is, you you look at it, it's it's just tense as all hell it's and brutal. just brutal. It's the and, way it's filmed and the way it's presented, yeah. like the way when when he when he whomps a guy over the head, drags him into the house and and mm. behind several doors and slams the doors all in like the space of like three seconds. Mm-hmm. It's just it's that is it's one of the great but jump it's not scares. graphic. Yeah, it, it, it's one of the great jump scares because yeah. it happens so quickly. You're like, oh, what the hell? What the hell just just happened? It plays out like reality, and you just sort of see it from one point of view, and it's just like it's intense. And that, but that, 
and and watching the movie was a tense experience, so it equated mm. out to gore. The same thing with uh, The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. You know? well, well, the thing about The Exorcist, for me, the scariest parts it, are not um, Linda Blair in the makeup throwing pea soup at her mouth. Yeah. It's her having to have the spinal tap. Yeah, that's horrific. That is true. Like, and that that's was... one of the genius things in that movie is having like <laughs> real life horror. Tra- like, not only is this girl getting possessed by a demon, but she's got to get dragged Freaking into a fucking spinal tap. Grounding it keeps grounding us in the real world. Yeah. In between moments, that's why, for example, as 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 great as that sequence, the spider walk sequence is, he should never have restored it. It was, it was a, that should have been a, like a, a, you know, a cutscene on the DVD. Yeah. Exactly. See it out of curiosity and stuff. And cause, he should yeah. never have, when he did the, the director's cut, he should never had done those flashes of the, of the, the white monster face. Yeah. That you see everyone's, because for, he claims they're subliminal. They're not subliminal. They're very liminal. They're, they're, yeah, they're, if they were subliminal, we wouldn't be we you wouldn't be seeing them in the movie, and you can see them in the movie. It's just yeah. like the subliminals in Fight Club. You the know, other, the other reason why I think Texas Chainsaw has the reputation it still has is that it's made so cheaply that it has what I like to refer to as a home movie vibe to it. Yeah, and the the acting is 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 good. It's naturalistic and good, and which is, which is why. That, that they should okay. Toby Hooper knew they should never have to. They should never make a sequel, which is why when they they gave him money and said, "We'll let you do other things if you if you do a sequel." Cannons, here here's some money. Here do three films, one of which has to be a Texas Chainsaw sequel. The other two you could do whatever you want. Toby Hooper decided to make Texas Chainsaw 2 into a comedy. Yeah, I, I think he saw... He knew there was there was I no... I think he saw Evil Dead 2 and yeah. was like, oh, okay, well, that's where we're going. I... I'll, I'll have some fun with this. I think he he knew, much like John Carpenter did, that, he was a, that, that the movie was a done-in-one. John Carpenter knew Halloween was a done-in-one. Yeah. And the only reason he managed to spit out a script for Halloween 2 is because they were saying, we're going to do it. Somebody else is going to do it. Yeah. Someone else is going to do it. And he's like, okay, I'll write the script. And he figured it was a way to get his one of his friends a directing credit. Yeah. And, and, the, and then you can tell he had the idea, well, we'll do it as a different movie every year, just a Halloween yeah, horror movie. That's what movie. he wanted from the start. Yeah. And they just... Poor John Carpenter, like he's gotten to that point where now they fucking realize who he is, and that you know, finally, all these years of me going, this guy is like one of the best filmmakers ever, you know, you well, know. Still, to, to, uh, uh, there are films of his that are held up as classics that I don't, I do not like at all. But such as what. Um, in the mouth of madness. Oh, okay. I see what he's trying to do with it. He's just not doing it well. 
I think that's gotten more of a reputation because Lovecraftian horror yeah. has had a little bit of a revival, and that's his mm-hmm. most Lovecraftian sort of thing. But the thing, but is, the is thing that... about that, that one, like, that's like, I always hold that in his like middle. Like, I saw that yeah. in the theater with zero expectation and was like, mm-hmm. that was fun, you know? And, but, 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 you it see... it, but it's not a masterpiece for right. sure. You're right. Carpenter's best work is visceral. It's very, you know, Halloween and Escape from New York. They're visceral films. That they're, they're films where you can feel the grit and the grime. Yeah, the thing. Coming off the screen. Um, in the Mouth of Madness... He's trying to do something he's not suited. He's not really well suited to do. Um, and I, that same thing goes for Prince of Darkness. Prince Although, of Darkness was one I did not like when it first came, and I've grown to like it a lot. But it's I, also I it's. Admit, I've been itching to revisit that. It's, it gets better uh, and better. There's more. There's more to it. It's just so low budget that it doesn't invite. Yeah. After an initial viewing, it doesn't invite further views, but further views, you go, oh, shit, I missed that. Oh, shit, I missed that. It's obvious to me that 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 Prince of Darkness is John Carpenter loved Nigel Neal. Who was a British uh, script writer. Who did some really crazy shit. He was kind I like to refer to him as kind of the Rod Serling uh-huh. of the BBC because he was working around the same time and he would do these wild genre things. And a major theme of his was always what we look at with fear is just repressed memories, re- repressed racial memories going way, way back of encounters with others with other life forms and prince of darkness is you know bald facedly uh a nigel neal film uh it, it features i i think it, one one of his one of, one of john carpenter's great scenes i have a message for you and you're not going to like yes it. yes Oh God! But a ninety-degree turn, yeah. Yes, I still, I still think the bulk of that film is a little is unfocused. Um, and then there's also well, it's got a very improvised sort of feel to it, which is very, which is unusual for John Carpenter. He's usually got a pretty, pretty solid plan. But like I said, it it makes more sense i still i still put the in the mids it's like mm-hmm. under it's a little bit under in the mouth of madness right but it's still in his mids it's still one of his, his it's a solid movie and yeah see it, i th- i think that the lesser you can categorize the lesser carpenters in three categories you have john carpenter being interfered with by the producers and that's what happened with uh, Memoir of, the In- of an Invisible Man. And that's what happened with um, Children of the Dam, which is his worst. Yeah. 
Worst film. Really? Like, I don't know. I maybe maybe the Mars movie might be his worst film. I don't, that's, that's another category. That is another category. That is the John Carpenter film where he he's giving you what he thinks you want. Yeah, I where like, he's like, fine, fuck it. Here you want you want uh, an, another escape from movie i can't do i can't use the escape from but here's something that it's it's very similar it's basically sort of it's sort of escape from earth like yeah yeah. it's escape it's it's escape from earth mashed with uh assault on precinct 13 mashed with a little bit of prince of darkness in it um and then you have the um the ones where he's trying to tackle something that he can't really tackle due to either his strength as a director or his lack of budget. And, you know, Prince of Darkness falls in there, and I would say In the Mouth of Madness falls in there. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, where if he would have gotten a super budget for both of those, they would have been completely, probably... It would have been a different movies. film. Let's put it yeah. that I don't think... I don't think an amount of madness would ever work for me. Um, and you would think I would like it because it's, you know, it's got Sam. It's got a great cast. Sam Neill. Yeah. Sam Neill. Julie Carmen, who. It's got fucking, it's got fucking Charlton Heston in it. <laughs> yeah. No, but got... the, the thing about Julie Carmen is Julie Carmen should have had a, a bigger career than yeah. she had. Because she could have. Because she was in the the Fright Night Two sequel. She's got those crazy, like, sparkly eyes. Yeah, but, but the problem was okay. So she was the star. She was going to be the star of Fright Night Two, right? And Fright Night Two was one of three films that were in po- pre-production when the Menendez brothers killed the owner of Live Entertainment. Oh Jesus! So. That film, um, Prom Night 3, uh, and a couple of others got thrown into development hell because all of a sudden there is no live entertainment. So, but we've gone far, far, far yeah. afield. So, yes, we are going to be doing super, so we're going to be doing Tokusatsu. Um... And I love these films where other countries try to interpret distinctly, you know, styles and genres that are distinct to another culture. Yeah. And I figured we might need some help with that. So I've called upon the King of Kaiju. So we are getting a visit from Luke Giaconetti himself of Earth Destructive Directive to help us discuss Inframan, also known as Super Inframan. Good, because I don't know shit about this topic. And until then... Go! Oh, thank God.
visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Bye.